This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Residents in a remote northern Ontario First Nation were trying to keep their young people alive. On Saturday night, 11 people attempted suicide. In the past seven months, more than 100 people in Attawapiskat have tried to kill themselves. A state of emergency has been declared. This is not the only First Nation struggling to solve a growing problem. Dr. Lawrence Kermeyer is Professor, Director of Social and Transcultural Psychiatry at McGill University and Director Founder of the Network for Aboriginal Mental Health Research joins us today. Hello, Dr. Kermeyer. Hello. Uh, just your reaction to what happened in Attawapiskat on the weekend when there was actually 11 attempted suicides. Well, obviously, this is, you know, terribly, terribly worrisome for all of us as Canadians and citizens and uh, as uh, fellow human beings. And uh, I guess the good that can come from this is uh, for people being much more aware of what the issues are and all of us working together to try to improve the situation. Sometimes when someone goes to such great lengths in an attempt to end their lives, you'll often hear people say, well, it was a cry for help. They, they had an issue. They were trying to bring attention to something. To me, then, this isn't a cry for help. It, they're yelling at the top of their lungs. What do you know about the community of Attawapiskat? Well, I don't know a lot about the community itself beyond what has already been reported in the news. I think I can speak a little bit more generally to these issues. This is not the only community that has suffered in this way, although this is the most immediate crisis that uh, we're facing. Um, I think we need to understand this problem in a couple of different time frames. One time frame really is a a long historical time frame. We just uh, had the uh, conclusion of a Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Canada that has really looked at the long historical arc through which Indigenous people were subject to uh, a lot of uh, suppression of their culture, of their way of life, and so on, in ways that have had some profound effects on communities and families. And that certainly is part of the long-term story. Uh, and then there's been a lot of suffering that's occurred in families across the generations as a result of um, uh, some of these uh, cultural and social changes. And that backdrop then comes into play when young people, or people of different ages, are facing personal crises that come out of their own traumas, come out of their own uh, predicaments in life, uh, and uh, they reach ahead at some moment of crisis for a variety of reasons. Um, the crucial thing in these communities, beyond that story that I've just told, uh, which is common across many Indigenous communities and which uh, at the level of personal struggles and trauma might be applicable to any person who contemplates suicide at some point in their life. The particular thing that's um, an important dynamic in these communities is because they're small communities, because people are closely related, know each other very well, are in very similar circumstances, uh, an event like a suicide attempt or a death by suicide reverberates very powerfully in the community and many people feel this very personally and very intensely. And that's what leads to this kind of um, a terrible problem of clustering. Lawrence, I know you haven't been to Attawapiskat, but you have worked in northern Canada with similar communities. You sort of laid out exactly what some of these smaller communities are facing. I think Attawapiskat only had a population of 2,000. This isn't the first time this has gone on, whether it be Attawapiskat or other First Nations. Why 
aren't we learning anything from this? Why are the communities still struggling to make sure that the, the suicide rate goes down instead of up? Well, I think we're learning or we know some things about the predicament that that leads to this problem. But I think uh, really addressing it requires structural changes. Um, the, The issue for young people really is what kind of trauma have they experienced in the past and what kind of future do they have to look forward to? People can endure a lot and can get through very difficult places if they have some hope for the future. But if they find themselves in a quandary where their options for work are limited, their options for advancing their education or for living a meaningful life and connection to the land, where all those things are being uh, curtailed or where there are many obstacles, then people are, are really stuck. So I guess what I would say is we have some ideas of what some of the sort of pile up of adversity is that leads people to these uh, these uh, dire straits. Uh, but making real improvements involves a lot of structural issues. Over the short term, providing some basic mental health care for people would be a huge um, help and would help people get through the crisis. Uh, but the longer term solutions and prevention have to do with greater development within communities uh, and, and greater opportunities for young people over time. When you talk about that immediate help of social workers, I wonder also how important it is, though, to work from within the community as opposed to having people coming from outside. I know you're at a crisis at this point where you have to bring in that kind of intervention. But how important is it then to be able to start looking at some leaders in the community to really work with them to make sure that they are trying to fix this from the inside as opposed to feeling like we're having to get help from the outside? No, it's absolutely true. I think you really raised a very basic point, which is that no matter how well-intentioned, help that's entire from the outside inadvertently reproduces the situation of sort of helplessness, of being uh, the passive recipient of help rather than mobilizing people's own sense of uh, of self-efficacy, of being able to take the situation in hand and make things better. So generally speaking, what's needed is a community mental health approach in which whatever outside resources are mobilized work not simply to provide individual services for people or for families, but to strengthen local resources and um, build capacity for the future for people to deal with crises and to deal with positive mental promotion. Lawrence, I know you're working within social transcultural psychiatry at McGill University, so this may be outside your realm, but oftentimes when we hear people say we've got to look at structural changes, how much of that is looking at how that community operates? And I know it's easy to say we need more money for this, we need more money for that, but when do we actually look at the community, how they are actually using the resources that they already have and whether or not some of the responsibility has to go back to those communities? Well, I think it's clearly it's not just about money. It is about community structure and community uh, decision-making and community solidarity. I think it's important to understand that most of the communities um, in the north uh, were um, small communities that were enlarged and and, uh, made into sort of sedentary population centers, uh, partly in interaction with the larger Canadian society. And so there's a certain degree of of, uh, kind of a certain structure of community being imposed on people in ways uh, that don't necessarily build directly on their past culture or traditions. Uh, And so people really have to develop and improvise new ways of functioning in the contemporary world, and that's an ongoing process. 
when things are not going well in a community, in a small community, many people are affected, uh, and people who have a variety of responsibilities may be struggling themselves with issues in their family or those close to them that really um, uh, impede uh, their ability to address uh, issues in others. So this is a dilemma uh, for communities in general where there's not a lot of resources to mobilize when you're facing a crisis. And so I think it has to work uh, both ways, uh, I guess, with uh, sort of outside help um, um, bolstering uh, people's own resources and reorganization from within to help people uh, address those things. Uh, so uh, I think everyone in these situations has a role to play, and uh, those who have suffered themselves uh, have to uh, participate actively in, in their own healing and in providing support for others, and I think that's, that's very doable. Uh, and I would agree that money is not the only uh, solution, uh, that it's uh, as much about uh, certain knowledge and certain attitudes that support people's identity and people's uh, own approaches to problem solving and blend them or couple them with what we know from a mental health and community um, uh, development point of view. My guest this half hour is Dr. Lawrence Kermeyer, professor and director of social transcultural psychiatry at McGill University, also director founder of the Network for Aboriginal Mental Health. You are listening to Calgary Today. I'm Angela Kokot. This half hour, we are just talking about the troubling situation that you probably heard about on the weekend at Awapaskat. It is in northern Ontario, a community, a First Nation community of just about 2,000 people. But on Saturday, 11 people tried to commit suicide and a state of emergency has actually been declared. It's not the only First Nation that has gone to such lengths. Dr. Lawrence Kermeyer is a professor, director of social and transcultural psychiatry at McGill. University, director, founder of the Network for Aboriginal Mental Health Research. Dr. Kermeyer, as we talk about Attawapiskat or other First Nations that have struggled, have there been some examples where communities have managed to solve the problems, especially when it comes to whether it be drug abuse or suicides in their young people? Yeah, there certainly are examples, many examples of communities that have either uh, never suffered to uh, a huge degree because they've made the transition from a traditional way of life to some contemporary blending of, of uh, different um, uh, cultural practices uh, in a way that has allowed some continuity and a sense of well-being. Uh, or have been through a very hard time at some point and have um, uh, rebuilt uh, um, uh, health and, and good functioning in the community and for uh, the vast majority of, of community members. Where that's occurred, it's usually happened because uh, people were able to establish a kind of solidarity within the community that was inclusive and have a strong vision of the future and uh, develop some sense of collective hopefulness and mobilize the basic resources they need to be able to have decent housing and and opportunities for people. Uh, So that is absolutely possible. Uh, It's uh, happened in many communities. I think it's uh, where all communities ultimately are going to go. Uh, And uh, it's a question of uh, sort of working through these these crises right now and mobilizing the right resources to help communities. And because we're talking about such small communities, it's not as if we want to say the name of this one or the name of that one because it's almost a sense of privacy of what they've gone through and how they've gotten to the other side. 
Exactly. I think we have to realize that we're talking about communities of a few hundred to a few thousand people. And if you say a couple of words about something, you can almost figure out which person you're talking about if you happen to know the community. So the no, ordinary notions we have of privacy and so on, we're talking about things happening in big cities, don't apply in the situation. That's one reason why we don't like uh, being too specific about this uh, in, in a, a public sphere. And these are things to be shared directly among people who have established a basic level of trust and understanding and, and, and can think about it in a more particular way. Suffice it to say that when we, we talk about suicide rates being high and other things like this, these are averages across huge diversity. We have many different communities with different cultures, different geographic situations. Uh, some are having an easier time of it, some others not. And we need to learn from that variation to help identify the processes that really And that's why we can't just say, this is the problem and here's the solution. Because it would be one thing to say some First Nations have lost their sense of identity, but it's a combination of losing a sense of identity, trying to be part of the contemporary way of life without losing their traditions. So within your work, especially in the Network for Aboriginal Mental Health Research, do you see that there is that possibility of bringing those two together so that that they do still have a sense of identity from their past, but also one they're looking forward to in the future. I think that's very possible. I think that's what we all want and need. Receives lots of refugees who have to go through very profound transformations in their identity and so on, or those of us who come from families who've been here a long time and so on. Most of us have this situation where we have a, a past, a family past, a community past, a, uh, a cultural past that we're aware of, but we're moving through time, uh, adapting and changing and so on. And it's precisely the same for Indigenous peoples. The difference is that for a period of 100 plus years, their cultures and their histories were actively suppressed by the nation state and they still contend with huge negative stereotypes and so on uh, that uh, make it hard for young people and others to have a strong sense of this is where I come from, there are many things of, of, of value and richness in this, this is where we are right now and this is where we're heading with some kind of mix of uh, the wisdom and, and richness of one's culture and language and so on and uh, the tools to engage with a constantly changing world. I'm glad you mentioned tools of a constantly changing world because one of those tools is technology and how great it can be, but how detrimental it can be to a community as well because you can have small communities that see what the rest of the world is doing and their young people can lose sight of what's happening just in their small little fishing community or a community that has no job. So how difficult is that then to work with technology? That's a very interesting issue because youth around the world, uh, even in remote communities, are plugged into some degree to the Internet and to a kind of global youth culture that valorizes certain kinds of excitement and engagement with the world that may or may not fit very well with the actual environment people are living in around them. So it's a double-edged sword, as you're implying, that it's both a sense of, of, of excitement, a connection of new ideas, but also potentially a kind of basis for uh, comparisons that could leave one feeling marginalized and left out and uh, bereft in some way. So I think we actually need to work with the communities 
to um, take advantage of electronic networking and, and the new technology, social media, and so on, uh, to build forms of community, forms of participation that are supportive of young people. There's an increasing body of evidence that certain kinds of mental health interventions can be delivered uh, over the Internet. Uh, but beyond that, I think creating notions of, of uh, connection, of, uh, for example, creating kind of um, twinning or pairing between young people in remote uh, indigenous communities and uh, people in uh, young people in uh, urban settings, creating those kinds of um, relationships can be a way to have the best of both worlds, that is to be able to be connected to a larger social world, but also to be able to live uh, in one's community and with uh, some continuity with one's, uh, uh, one's own traditions. And I know in the last couple of weeks, I think it's in Manitoba that a number of smaller First Nations communities have been struggling because their, their children have to leave the community to go to a bigger center where they almost get lost in the crowd. So even if you could use technology as in tele-education, keeping them in the community and still being able to be with their family and friends and still getting an education. So, yeah, I can see a number of ways where technology really can help. Dr. Kermar, thank you so much for your insight on this. I really appreciate your time today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Dr. Lawrence Kermeyer, Professor and Director of Social and Transcultural Psychiatry at McGill University, Director and Founder of the Network for Aboriginal Mental Health Research. And uh, thanks so much for all the texts that came in during that conversation with Dr. Kermeyer. I'm going to share some of those after the news as well. Your chance and my chance to talk about the... Calgary Today with Angela Cocott. Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.